Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. As always, it's an absolute privilege to be here to be able to share another inspirational conversation, but also the chance to kind of really bring this whole essence of education on fire to a global audience. And um, if you want to find out more about what we're doing within Education on Fire, find out more about what's going on around the podcast, then you can sign up to our newsletter and get some of our, our fire insights, which if you haven't heard about that already, the fire is feedback, inspiration, resilience and empowerment. But you can go and check that out by going to educationonfire.com forward slash fire. Now today I'm chatting to Olympia Brown and she's the head of youth partnerships at the Raspberry Pi Foundation. Now she's come on to talk about the Astro Pi Challenge which is empowering young people no matter their experience with computers to write a simple computer program and share a message with the astronauts orbiting 408 kilometres above the Earth. Now more than 54,000 young people across 26 countries have taken part in the Astro Pi Challenges to date to run their own computer programmes in space. Their two new Raspberry Pi computers means even more young people can learn about coding and digital creativity to empower them to share messages with the International Space Station. The upgraded technology allows young participants to develop and run more detailed and complex experiments than they've ever been able to do before. Now since I did the interview with Ollie I've had an update and she said that the Astro Pi computers launched successfully on the 21st of December. They were unpacked by the European Space Agency astronaut Matthias Mara in January and he has attached the camera lenses and checked that all the sensors were working as expected. The Astro Pi computers completed their setup process called commissioning on the 25th of January and are now ready to use in the 2021-22 European Astro Pi Challenge. Now this is quite amazing and you'll get a real insight into exactly how all this is working and what's involved as we go through the interview. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation and we'll get straight to it as soon as we've had a quick thank you to our sponsor. The National Association for Primary Education is a non-political UK charity. As Vice Chair, I'm delighted to be hosting six online CPD events to enable you to be supported as educators, no matter where you are in the world. To find out more information, go to nape.org.uk forward slash online hyphen events. That's nape.org.uk forward slash online hyphen events. Ollie, thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. It's always great to be able to get a, a face and and a, and a voice from behind some of the things that we talk about and, and that kind of personality, especially something in the science field, which is always uh, a, really interesting from my point of view, having had kids who've been through the school system who really sort of love that and kind of really engage with that. So thanks so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. It's a real pleasure. So tell us about the Raspberry Pi Foundation, first of all, and exactly what it is that you're involved in and, and, and what you can share with us. Yeah, sure. The Raspberry Pi Foundation is an organisation, we're just coming up for our 10th anniversary next year, and it was an organisation that was founded um, with the purpose of bringing more uh, improving the skills of uh, young people in coding and what we call digital making, so making things with technology. We're most famous for our computer, um, which uh, was a device that was invented to um, 
give young people the opportunity to, to sort of play around with coding and with technology. If you think about your laptop or your phone, they're, they're sort of closed black boxes that you have no way of interacting with. And if you do manage to get under the hood, you may break it and then get in trouble because they're really expensive. Mm -hmm. um, and the Raspberry Pi um, is, a, is a low cost computer that allows you to, to manipulate it and, and to learn how it works. But the Raspberry Pi Foundation has taken that um, even wider. We, we um, encourage coding in all sorts of different uh, computing languages. You don't need a Raspberry Pi to interact with our programs, and we have uh, coding clubs operating all around the world um, with Code Club and Coder Dojo. And we, um, in England, are working with the National Centre for Computing Education. We're one of the consortium members, overhauling and and um, improving the uh, computer science and computing uh, GCSE and A level specs. As well. And and just take us into that briefly, as, as you've mentioned it, because it really is a kind of. Uh it's the, probably the cornerstone of where the world is going and already is, but in, in terms of that development and, and how things are going to progress going future. So how is that kind of change from kind of where we are now and where we were compared to what you think the future is going to look like from that educational standpoint? Do you mean in terms of formal education? Yeah. Yeah. So um, the, the, um, it was really fantastic that the the English government, the DfE, um, invested in this um, overhaul of the the national curriculum for computing, and that was the result of much um, uh, lobbying and and um, uh, much work behind the scenes. And um, I think the I'm not directly involved with the with the National Centre for Computing Education, but I know that um, it has been a tremendous amount of work um, building confidence in um, teachers that didn't necessarily have the skills to be able to teach it, building high quality resources, and then also building platforms that allow young people to. Um, uh, test out their knowledge um, through the Isaac computing platform, which was for A-level and is also now for um, GCSE. So, um, yeah, we, we've we've nearly, I think, at the end of our of our development work in in England, and hope to be expanding that in other countries. Watch this space. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I just think it's really encouraging when you hear these sorts of stories about it being collaborative and lots of stakeholders from lots of different yeah. areas of of the of the industry as it were not yeah. just within education but people who are at the forefront of obviously technology in terms of what we're talking about today and I, I just think that kind of always feels like then we're heading in a positive direction absolutely I mean um I think you'll agree that we can't solve this problem no one group can solve this problem on their own or or, or improve um improve the quality of education on digital subjects on their own um digital affects so many areas of our lives so it need, we need to work together to to come up with a solution yeah so talk us through the project astro pi challenge and and exactly what's involved in that who's been involved and where you are in that journey yeah absolutely so so yeah my role at, at the raspberry pi foundation i look after a lot of our programs our youth facing programs that we run in partnership with other organizations um so you've you've mentioned astro pi um the full name is the european astro pi challenge and we um it's a program that we run in partnership with the european space agency or esa it started in 2015. Um, I don't know if you remember that Tim Peake uh, 
got on a Soyuz rocket and went up to the International <laughs> Space Station. There was a lot of interest, particularly in the UK, um, and excitement around his mission. And um, we had the crazy idea of putting two Raspberry Pis on the International Space Station to act as educational devices. Um, and, and the program has really grown from there. So um, we have two Raspberry Pi computers. They're in special cases that, that sort of prepare them and make them suitable for space flight. And then there are a whole bunch of uh, sensors in there and uh, a camera. Um, and then uh, young people from across Europe now can write code that then runs on those computers on the International Space Station. So they have a small screen. Um, one program we have, which is Mission Zero, um, young people have to write a few lines of code. Um, and if they're eligible, if they're uh, once they meet the eligibility criteria, their code then gets transmitted up to the International Space Station. It runs and displays a short message to astronauts. Uh, and then those young people get a um, a certificate showing where the ISS was when uh, their code ran. We also have another program called Mission Space Lab, which uses those sensors and the camera um, to investigate either life in space, so the, the conditions on board the ISS, or um, for the period that the, the program is running, we point the camera out of one of the windows pointing back at Earth so that young people can take photos and then come to scientific conclusions based on based on their hypotheses. Um, the very exciting thing that we have been working our guts to sort of get done is that we are just about to launch or have just launched um, two brand new Raspberry Pi computers. So the latest model of the Raspberry Pi, the Raspberry Pi 4, um, with the new high quality camera and some new sensors. And that is just in the process of being commissioned and made ready. Um, so. Uh, in future, we're going to be able to get do even more. We're introducing a machine learning um, processor as well so that um, young people can do real time um, machine learning algorithm, um, train an algorithm to, to recognize various features and then um, that and take even better quality photos back of Earth. So I'm, I'm really excited about seeing what those photos when they come down. I mean, you can't think of anything further away than space, and to, to to sort of to have that kind of, I as a student could be sat here doing you know the coding like you said, and then actually then be able to see what's being then projected back through the camera yeah. and all that kind of thing. I mean, that really sort of is mind blowing. But I think also it just kind of it brings a world which has got much smaller, even into more mm. focus because of that. And I think that must be incredibly exciting for the people that have been involved so far. Absolutely. The, the, I mean, I've I've um, gone into my daughter's primary school and I've run these sessions um, in previous years, but the feedback, so I've seen it myself, but but the feedback that we get from, um, from teachers is that communicating that message, you sort of show them where, you know, you can do street, Google Street View of the inside of the International Space Station, you show these computers that are on foot. I don't know if you've seen pictures of the inside of the ISS. It is full of equipment. You know, you, it's almost uh, mind blowing how how much is in there. And then you see you spot these these two small computers and then and show their screen. And then you think and then you sort of uh, remind them that the, the code that they're writing now, the message that they're writing now will run on those very computers and be seen by astronauts as they're going about their daily business. It's 
amazing and um i think particularly sets in context why why you learn coding or or what the what the possibilities that it unlocks for you um and that's actually been one of the most powerful things that have, have come back from from teachers and um is it sets what particularly when you think about um learning uh, text-based coding um, if you move from block-based languages like Scratch, um, what you move into doing um, text-based coding, um, we use Python on the on the AstroPy computers, but you have to be so specific um, that it's very easy to make mistakes with text-based programming. You know, if you put a capital letter where there should be a lowercase one, then your whole program won't work. Um, but by setting it in this very exciting context of if you get this right your message is going to be displayed uh, up in space it helps young people to motivate themselves over those um for initial barriers to getting started with text-based programming so uh yeah really exciting and i think that's it isn't it it's bringing the reality to life and the, the reality that you like to say you're affecting something which is so exciting it's a concept let alone like you say the the images and, and everything that you can see and i guess also like you said you know you've got these two computers which are there in part of what is a, a whole barrage of computing <laughs> um yeah. hardware and software that, that's keeping the space station going and, and and everything functioning and actually what you're doing is is an integral part of learning how you could be involved in that should that be a you know a particular interest of yours as you go on or, or how you can then adapt it into any part of life which is is going to affect people all over the world absolutely and um it's very easy where well, we've all been excited by astronauts and by human um uh, space travel but the reality of, of exploration of space is that it's actually a lot more driven by computers and and um uh, uh device remote devices that are that are out there exploring the universe and by participating in a program like astro pi you're starting to get an idea of what that involves so you're you're working on your device um in school or at home but having a having an impact thousands of kilometers away it's uh, yeah yeah beginning and, and that I, message yeah for sure and, and i think for me it's often having that concept that where you fit within any given project or any given idea about something which you're really interested in um and uh, I, I always think back my wife got very excited that after she watched all the harry potters and then at the end of the credits they show you sort of behind the scenes and what various people did and they, apparently they've got a fantastic interview with some of the plasterers who of course made a whole load of stuff and when you think of that kind of i'm interested in plastering or that you know that isn't the first thing you think of you think of probably people who are in houses and building and, and that kind of thing and just sort of just the fact that whatever you're interested in however you want to put it in it can be in so many different ways mm. and um and, and i just think you know this is a that, that sort of computing element of that sort of thing which seems so far removed initially than like you say i'm now doing com coding in school you know and yeah. i think being able to tie those two things together in such a such an, an interesting way but such an, an exciting way is really is really key yeah and i think that that um goes across a, actually a lot of uh, the raspberry pi foundation's approach to to helping young people access and learn these skills is um the the best way to do it is by connecting with other interests or other um other ways in to help to help you understand why you would even bother learning these sometimes complicated um uh, you know languages or, or whatever um for example we have a partnership with the uk scout association and um that's been about learning 
what scout leaders and, and um, young people that attend scouts, what is important to them, how they like to operate, and then building coding experiences to help them learn. So, so things like um, we've, we've uh, programmed music around the campfire or um, the, the wide game, which is the, the sort of capture the flag type game that you, you can play um, at Scouts using technology to unlock things that you're already already doing. Um, and I think that's the, one of the um, phrases that we use at the foundation is using technology to solve problems that matter to you. And um, we, we see that again and again, that um, actually with Astro Pi, when, the um the computer is pointing the camera is pointing down at earth so many young people are um uh, studying environmental environmental changes they can study the the um, changes in plant growth uh, lots of them want to spot wildfires and see the impact that they are having uh, on the planet increasing urbanization um and some, sometimes unfortunately they try to spot things that aren't visible from space like the the pacific garbage patch but you can tell that concerns about our planet and um concerns about uh the environment and and, and climate change really do drive a lot of young people to participate in, in mission zero to um to learn more and to learn how they can help it's really inspiring and take us through a school or an organization that wants to be part of it in, mm. in terms in terms of sort of how that works from hearing it today saying sure. yeah that sounds like something I want to be involved in yeah so there's two as I mentioned there's two ways of getting involved um the one that's still open now and will be until the 18th of March uh, 2022 is mission zero and that uh, is an activity that probably takes about an hour um and the uh, educator, that could be a teacher, it could be uh, someone that's running an after-school coding club, it could be a parent with their with their uh, young people. They register um, and provide their details so that um, we can send the certificate afterwards and they get what's called a classroom code. That co Then the uh, young person visits the AstroPi website and clicks on Mission Zero. They We've got step-by-step -step instructions that they can follow to, um, to learn what, what the lines of code are that they need to um, complete. And that's where they can choose what message they want to write. We also give instructions if they want to use this eight by eight matrix to draw pictures. Um, they can do very, very simple animations on there. Um, and also take a reading from one of the sensors this year we're using the humidity sensor and then they type in the classroom code that means that their entry is then associated with the details that we've got from um, the adult that registered and again if if they're doing it in a class everyone is then associated with that one teacher so then we just communicate with the teacher then once they press submit that's when the hard work begins for us. We need to review all of the um, entries um, and make sure that they're fulfilling the program rules, that they haven't said anything that's going to upset anyone. <laughs> um, and then uh, we have to package them up, essentially. It goes through various security security steps and then we send them up to the ISS and they will be displayed up on the International Space Station in around May um, and they run each program runs for 30 seconds and um, it, I think the um, 
all of the Mission Zero programs take about a week to run. We get that many from across Europe uh, and then we download it and then we prepare the certificates and send them off. Fantastic. And then Mission Space Lab um, participation for this year is closed, um, uh, but I'll just run through briefly how that works uh, for future years. So that opens up in uh, September every year. We ask for ideas um, of, of what scientific investigations they want to do. Um, and that could either be, as I mentioned, life in space, which is um, the, the um, AstroPi uh, model that's stored inside Columbus, which is the, um, the European Space Agency's own part of the International Space Station. Um, and they can measure things like uh, we've had teams say investigating does uh, does it get uh, warmer in the um, module when an astronaut is passing by. Um, there also someone last year investigated whether the conditions on the ISS were suitable for flu to develop. Obviously, we're waiting to see if they come back and try and investigate whether COVID-19 would flourish on the International Space Station um, or the 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 teams can choose to investigate life on earth which as i mentioned involves that camera pointing back down sometimes that's just about they they take photos um looking out say for certain um uh um, features um and then download those uh down to their uh device back back at uh back on earth but as, as i mentioned with this year we're um also sending up a new machine learning accelerator which will allow the um the teams to do image classification in real time on the international space station um so they they send us their idea um and we have to discount some that just either aren't viable for example we've had someone trying to spot polar bears uh on the ice caps which is difficult for two reasons the first is that the iss doesn't travel over the polar ice caps but the second is that trying to spot individual polar bears on a white background from 400 kilometers away is pretty tricky (laughs) (laughs) um so uh so yeah so uh we then send the equipment to uh those that get through the idea stage we send the equipment that they need um so that's another great thing about participating in um astro pi for mission zero you don't need any specialist equipment at all just an internet connection and a and a, a computer for mission space lab once you get through the first stage we send you the equipment for free um, that you need to participate and then teams have about three two to three months to code their experiment we tend to find that the the participating adults that support them have had some experience of coding for mission zero absolutely not necessary at all um it, it, we provide completely step-by-step instructions it's um apart from that finickiness that i mentioned about being careful that you're being accurate in your typing it's a very easy um uh, program to, uh, uh, thing to do an activity to do mission space lab because it's over a long time but longer time period the skills that are required are a bit more advanced um it helps a lot if the adult has had either some experience of coding or of scientific investigation or even of both. Um, and as with a lot of programs that that are projects that take place over a number of weeks, 
those skills of self-motivation that, that are developed in those young people of overcoming challenges to, to reach an end goal um, really do get developed in, in them. Um, they then su submit their uh, code for uh, by the end of February and again that's when we have to start reviewing them or we run each program for its full period of time. There was quite a funny, um, we had an error one year, so we, we test all of the programs on Earth and then when they uh, run on the International Space Station hopefully are going to be error free. We did have a couple of years ago um, one of the teams had divided, they'd done a calculation that meant that um, in zero gravity it meant that they were dividing by zero and obviously as we're testing them on the ground we have no way of mimicking zero gravity so unfortunately that one did produce an error when it when it ran up in space because uh the unforeseen challenges of uh <laughs> earth-based versus <laughs> space um yeah and then uh we uh, get all of the results downloaded and shared back with teams and they have about a month to write a report assessing whether the experiment sort of gave them the answers they were expecting or or what else they can learn from it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a long program that is from September right through to, to July um, and but I'm constantly blown away by the um, amazing questions that those young people uh, and, the, and the care that they show um, in, in preparing their, their experiments. It's amazing. Yeah. And, and like I said, you know, the skills that you need to be involved in something like that are incredible. And like I say, when you can associate those with all sorts of other things that they're studying as well, that must be really, really important. And, and just tell us in terms of their ages, is there a, an age range that's um, suitable or, or, or capped in, in what you're offering? Yeah, neither program has a particular cap. They're both available up to the age of 19. Um, we do tend to find that Mission Zero, which is the one that takes about an hour, doesn't need any specialist um, skills. That one does tend to be taken by more primary school students, though there are also plenty of secondary school age students that, that participate. Mission Space Lab, the one that takes longer. Again, we have had some primary schools participating but by and large it is the old age group that takes part yeah. because of that those more advanced skills because the the time commitment and and um yeah the the sort of self-determination that is yeah. helpful <laughs> yeah the longevity that you need yeah. to sustain the whole yeah yeah exactly um that's that's it's, fa it's fascinating and that's that's kind of what i assumed would, would be the sort of be the yeah. case and everything but i can imagine there's lots of people listening going Ah oh, yes, I can. <laughs> I need to be looking at that and seeing exactly yeah. how we can get involved and how we can do it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and and how long have you been you've been involved in in, in running these things? Because I know your sort of previous uh, professional background is, while being scientific, is not exactly necessarily part of uh, computing. No, so um, I've been uh, working on Astro Pi for about four years. I've been at the Raspberry Pi Foundation for about five years, um, and. Uh, before I started at the Raspberry Pi Foundation, I'd never written a line of code. I, I, um, I wasn't necessarily completely phased by it, but I'd never had any call to, I suppose. Um, uh, before that, my, my background was in science communication. Um, I used to work on a programme called the Christmas Lectures, which were um, events for uh, teenagers again, but uh, televised with lots of 
exciting illustrations of, of the science that we were talking about. So, um, and we did one year uh, in the Christmas lectures, we did cover um, the world of, of making and, and um, coding uh, in 2014 with um, a Professor Danielle George. So that was, for me, that was actually my introduction into the world of Raspberry Pi and into the world of, um, of coding. So uh, that was, that was the beginning of getting to where I am now. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I think it's interesting to hear those journeys because it's like, say, you know, someone who's got a club at school who maybe even themselves just be sort of getting going with these things mm. or, or, or wanting to support pupils, you know, it might be that this is the, the catalyst to be able to get more involved or, or to create something which has got, let's say, that longevity and or, or certainly that kind of interest in a, in a way that maybe it's a school or an organisation that's never quite um had the opportunity to do before yeah and and that's been one of the amazing things actually about working at raspberry pi is that we do have teachers um from across across the world actually who uh, by participating either in raspberry pi programs or even just following on our projects that we we share for free on our website they have been able to develop their own skills and move into new areas of teaching um that, that they never would have considered or, or wasn't actually how they got started in teaching um, and it's it's such a an amazing experience and having having had it myself to to sort of have your eyes opened that this is something that I can do I think that's almost one of the biggest challenges with coding is that it can really feel like it's not for me it is um it's too scary I I don't know how it works I don't know what I'm doing that moment when you first write some code that even just lights up a little led light is it was really quite um quite special <laughs> and and I think is is this becomes more and more embedded it's it's going to be exciting for for pupils ongoing because I think it's that kind of when 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 pupils understand that everything they're learning has a bigger purpose but mm and they can then relate to what it is like, like, like we talked about before you know but that kind of you know the reason you can read is so that you can learn and immerse yourself in in this book or or this topic or what you're interested in or you can write because it means you, you can then you know share your ideas put them down and 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 all the all the things that we know about which are important there and so when coding i guess becomes part of that on a more regular basis for more people it kind of like I say it becomes the tool in order for, for you to express yourself whether that's solving a problem or, or whatever it is that you're going to be yeah. doing and and that kind of opens up a whole different kind of perspective I think on like you say this is something which some people do but not everybody. Mm, definitely and um, I, there was some research that came out a few months ago that showed that um, people that have um, aptitude in learning new languages actually do better at learning coding than people that are particularly technically minded because you are learning a new language you're learning a new way to express yourself and a new way yes to to solve problems and um i actually um i've come to think of learning to code like learning to cook um i think when when i first started to learn to cook i would follow recipes religiously and my my husband would tease me about it mercilessly um but as i grew in confidence and thought oh no hang on i remember if i mix if i mix that herb in with that spice that tasted really good that time so i'd start to tinker around with the recipes and now i'm completely confident just um with a, with a really wide variety of dishes 
but using different skills that I've learned from different recipes. And I think learning to code can be very similar to that. If you start when, when you're starting, and I, um, I'm not just saying this because I work there, but the Raspberry Pi projects that we have on our site across a lot of different, um, different programming languages and skills, they're, they're super clear, super easy to follow. But as you get more confident with them, as you remember that the skill that you're learning in this project was the skill that you learned in that one from two years ago and, and begin to mix them together, you can then start to create your own dishes, i.e. You know, your own coding yeah. co coding solutions. Um, and for me, that metaphor has really helped me to understand how I could progress and how I can improve improve my coding. Yeah, no, which is still I think, quite bad if I'm honest. Yeah. But. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the exciting thing about that is the fact that, like you say, you've got that trial and error, you know. And, mm. and, and I've I've used this. I think that I think this is going to work, and either it does, or you think, oh no, that doesn't taste so good, or you know, or that program <laughs> didn't work. The error came up, and 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 then you can do it, and it kind of takes away that fear factor. You know, it's an ongoing journey, an ongoing process, and that's what learning is about, really. Absolutely, and I think when I was at school, I was very motivated by always having the right answer and um and i i would like to be good at something relatively quickly that was that was how i kind of you know how i got on and learning that failure isn't a problem or or that there is value in failing or value in not immediately succeeding and and um is definitely a really important lesson for me i'm trying to instill it in my two daughters as well that sort of idea that just because you're not amazing at something or that you have got the wrong answer that that's the end of your journey because you can learn so much more from your mistakes than you can from your from your successes yeah absolutely i can i completely agree and and is there a teacher or an educational experience that you can remember that's kind of either supported um your sort of learning going forward or or, or something which is sort of you sort of now looking back think oh yeah that was something that's really made a big impact and obviously supported you in terms of where you are now yeah my um i mean one of my my best teachers, my favourite teachers were my physics teacher, um, uh, Mr. Tarling. Um, I was really pleased to have made contact with him since I left school and um, and helped. He started volunteering at a um, National Trust property that um, was one of the first places to become electrified, have electric lights. So I was able to, at the time I was studying the history of science and I was able to connect him with some old historians of science to give him more information. Anyway, that wasn't the answer, <laughs> the, the actual question that you asked. Um, I think, I don't think I actually did, um, as I say, I don't think when I was at school, I did really challenge myself and I did really um, learn from my failures actually i think i i put in a lot of effort and i and i was um successful academically in terms of grades so i think i didn't get used to that feeling of of being challenged and i think that's something that i've only learned later in life that how to motivate myself through that yeah, yeah and, and there are so many areas of life aren't there where you can get that from uh, an academic standpoint or a social standpoint or a sporting mm. standpoint or, or music or whatever it's uh, I think understanding how all those things fit into you and how you can sort of learn from those are, are really key yeah I mean, definitely 
I mean, you, we've probably touched on it in terms of um, the advice you give your younger self now in terms of those failures or <laughs> whatever. But is there, is there a piece of advice that you were given um, as you were growing up, which has sort of kept you in good stead as you are sort of, I say, as a parent now? And, well, uh, and yeah, I think one of the best best bits of advice I've been as a parent is to trust your instincts and to trust your trust your gut and um the more I reflect on it, actually, that applies to so much of your life. And I think um, it's quite possible to either overthink things or to um, discount your instincts. And I think um, I've really, I've really tried to to double down on trusting myself. <laughs> And I, I think I think time and perspective always um, makes me reflect in that kind of way because we very much think of these things as in the here and now, don't we? There's so much to do, everything's so mm. busy. But it's like you know, as a human race, we've survived for quite a long time, and the world looked very different over <laughs> a number of years going back. So there must be something inherent within us that's enabled us to thrive and survive. And I think mm. you say that kind of inner knowledge and instinct, however you want to describe it, is something which is is absolutely key in finding the space and the time to be able to to find how you do that whether it's mindfulness which of course in, is in, so important through the schools and, and things now or just having that time to reflect is um is key for everyone to identify with it especially when they're young and also like say as you get older to be able to bring it through to the the, the core of who you are I think in order to, to support everyone around you yeah definitely um it always makes me uh, chuckle to think of uh people getting uh the, the whatever the latest um thing that everyone uh says is rotting children's brains um you know mobile phones or computer games or whatever and um they discovered relatively recently a piece of um a, a statement uh that was written uh in the thousands of years BCE about the introduction of writing and how it was going to rot people's brains and <laughs> you know anytime you get anything new people are going to be uh, upset about it <laughs> yeah, absolutely that's a great analogy like so be interesting to come back in a few hundred years and see what they say about the internet and technology yeah exactly and well I mean um, you know in terms of um going back to to Raspberry Pi's work I think there's a really big difference between sort of passively consuming technology and passively um, just being a sort of subject. But um, what we're trying to do is empower people to be citizens and and to um, to give them those that skills and those confidence to that those you know what I mean um, to uh, actively contribute and to actively shape the world around you rather than just consuming it. And I think yeah. that's how um that that's where the power is that's where um there, there there is an exciting future yeah absolutely um and, and just finally is there a resource which um sticks in your mind that's been supportive for you and this can be a song a video book podcast can be absolutely anything but something which is something which you sort of go to that you think oh yeah that'd be a great thing for people to hear so again thinking about my parenting before i had kids i really i don't know if you ever watched this program it was called the house of tiny tearaways by tanya mm -hmm. byron yeah <laughs> i loved that program and i think a lot of any success that i have had as a parent my confidence in in parenting um by by um seeing seeing how mo having modeled for me um successful parenting so i guess in, in more generally anything that helps you learn by uh, imitation 
<laughs> Absolutely. Having a mentor in whichever way that comes, like say, whether it's a TV show or uh, like say, anything you can watch in here just to... Um, just to do that and yeah. just on just as a side just as we're finishing off um i've started listening to the um rob beckett and Josh oh Wiedekun it's so podcast. good isn't it it's so, so big funny. shout out to them if they listen to education on fire but <laughs> I, I just i just think the bonding that comes from so many parents just hearing about the fact yes that's completely my life and i don't have yeah. the answers either i think it's just fantastic I, well that's isn't that a, a, a really powerful connection that we can make i don't know either let's find out together and yeah. that that is a that's a phrase i do try and use with my kids i think that's a, a really such a powerful phrase in education i don't know let's find out together yeah amazing well, that's the perfect way to finish on. And thank you so much for being here and sharing all that wisdom. And I hope so many schools and organizations and parents get involved. And I think, you know, like we said, space is one of those things that feels like it's been with us for a long time, but is definitely some kind of chapter. And I think to connect those two things with what you can do individually is amazing. So, yeah, thank you so yeah. much. Well, I really hope that um, some some of the listeners do try out the activities for themselves. It's uh, It's great fun. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.